Welcome to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, be sure to visit us at cbctaylorville.com. Listen now as Pastor Chad delivers this week's message. Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we? Hey, you guys do me a favor. If anybody comes in late, don't, don't make them feel bad, but just kind of squeeze in to make sure that they have a place to sit, okay? Uh, it's getting kind of tight in here. Praise God that it's getting kind of tight in here. I'm thankful of that. Anyone else thankful that people are coming back to church? Yeah. Hey, there's a lot to be thankful for. I mean, we have farmers who are putting seed in the ground. The Lord's going to grow that up. There's a lot going on out in the fields, and the Lord's given us a couple dry days so we can be able to do that. I moved into my house yesterday, and some of you helped. Yeah. Speaking of which, um, I don't know who unpacked my wallet, my keys, and my toothbrush, but please talk to me after the service. I need those. So, uh, um, and you'll be thankful I find my toothbrush. Um, so, no, but hey, I do want to say thank you on behalf of, of my family, and I just say thank you for everyone who helped us move, whether you provided your truck, a strong back, or food, or whatever you provided. Thank you so much. Yesterday's move into our house was great. We got done in... A really short amount of time, and now the rest of the work has begun as we are looking at boxes in every single room of our house right now. So some of you know what that's like, but, but it's exciting to be in there, and it's exciting to be your pastor. It is. So uh, I'm, thankful. I'm thankful to God for what he's doing in the life of Calvary. And here's the thing. There's a lot to be excited about when it comes to even this time of year, what's going on around the church. We have a ladies' Bible study that just started last Thursday. It was very well attended. Evening and morning uh, opportunities for uh, women's Bible study. We have a men's Bible study coming up. It'll be later in the summer. So many things. We have groups still going on. So many things that God is doing at the church, even outside of our services. And he's been doing some really cool things in our services too. So we, speaking of our services, we have been in a series called Switch. And what we're looking at and really zoning in on is how Jesus made people who were invisible, or maybe they felt like they were invisible to the rest of the the people around them, how Jesus made invisible people visible. And, And because of that, we're looking at how Jesus interacted with difficult people, with people who maybe talked too much, with people who were just awkward, people who were needy or demanding, and that's what we're going to see today, or somebody who just would not give up is also what we're going to see today. How did Jesus respond to these people? And my hope and my desire and my prayer has been is that we would look at the life of Jesus, and if you're a Jesus person, that our lives would begin to reflect Jesus' life. That's really what we've been talking about here. I want to introduce today and just where we're going to go with this and just tell you a story and land upon some things I think that maybe would help us no matter where you are and all the things going on in the world and just to kind of welcome you into what it is that that maybe God has for you in this moment. Um, And I want to introduce it by telling you a story. I'm somebody who loves the outdoors. I love hiking. I love camping. like some glamping. I'm good with that. Uh, I love backcountry camping. So you put on a backpack, you carry your food, you carry your water, and you just go off for several miles and you go do that off in the woods. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. I've had opportunities of doing that specifically when we lived in the South. There was one spot that we would go to over and over and over. And this particular spot was kind of the perfect trail. You walk the trail, and it, this, this specific trail had water crossings. Like, you'd have to cross 
over the, the creeks or little bitty like rivers of sorts on the trail. You track with me so far, so you'd have to, you take the trail, you walk through uh, the, the creek, and you'd have to step on the rocks to get by. You know what I'm talking about? It's kind of like what everybody thinks hiking is. Everybody thinks hiking is like that, and many times hiking is nothing like that. But that's what it's like. And, and that really creates a, a, an analogy or metaphor for, I think, what happens a lot of times in our lives. Because a lot of us, we just kind of meander through our life. We just enjoy our life. We just do our thing. And yet, we kind of put our foot Using that analogy, we put our foot on the rocks to cross difficult areas. And sadly, what happens is sometimes we put our feet in the wrong places. Sometimes we put our foot on the rock, so to speak, and we put our, our, our faith in the rock, and then only to find out that that rock wasn't strong enough to support us for us to fall in and face the consequences of what we've done. So really, this is, is really a metaphor for all of life. And all of us tend to, to maneuver through life and we place our faith in certain areas. And sometimes those areas could be things that just are an opportunity for empty religion, for things that just end up leaving us frustrated and even more confused than when we started. Sometimes we just kind of put our hope in our future and we step, if you will, into our political affiliations. And I just want you to know that that won't satisfy either. In the day and age, it seems like everybody wants us to make a, uh, have a social position on everything. And yet, that's kind of the, the bang, you know, just a glanging uh, symbol or gong right now. Just do this, do this, do this. And yet, if we put all of our hope in that too, it will fail us. If we put all of our, our faith and hope in our political or military power, it's going to fail us. There's so many things in our life that we could just put our faith in. But there's only one that is strong enough to sustain us. And his name is Jesus Christ. So the openness is this. Jesus welcomes the broken and the open and those in need of help because of their empty empty religious activities, their political affiliations, and their military power when it has all failed them. It's a matter where you are. If you've put your faith and trust in any of these things, I want you to know you can have a brand new start in Jesus Christ. The the woman we're going to talk about in the passage today, she goes to Jesus not for herself, but she goes to Jesus for someone else. And she's willing to break some rules to do it. So she goes to Jesus for something else. But she even has a cultural standard that is different than Jesus and, and the Jewish people. But she's willing to cut across all of that just to go right to Jesus. And you know what she found out? You know what you can find out today if you don't know Jesus? That Jesus never refuses a person who comes to him in faith. Jesus never refuses a person who comes to him in faith. He never does. He never does. You, you may have thought or you may believe that you are so far outside of the, the hand and stretch of God, but that's simply not the case. God knows you. God loves you. He knows your backstory. He knows your future, and he knows what's going on right now, and he loves you right where you are. He just loves you so much he doesn't want you to stay there. He, he loves you so much he just doesn't want you to stay there, but he wants you to take you He wants to take you by the hand, and he will never refuse a person who comes to him in faith. I invite you to go into the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look in verse 
uh, 21, beginning in verse 21 of chapter 15. We're going to see this amazing story of a mother who comes to Jesus because of her daughter, because she has this ailment. She's willing to cross all sorts of cultural, racial barriers and boundaries, even some spiritual boundaries, and she just goes right to Jesus because she knows that Jesus will not refuse her. And you see the persistence, just the the persistence of a mother in this passage. And what we'll ultimately see is something that I've said throughout this series, that three weeks now into this series, is this. Jesus separates the person from the problem. Jesus separates the person from the problem. Now, let's read in verse 21. It says, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tur and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. In other words, the disciples wanted to make her invisible. They didn't know what to do with her, so they wanted to make her invisible. Just make her go away so we don't have to deal with this problem person. It's not where the story ends, though. He answered in verse 24, he being Jesus. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me. Notice the persistence in her voice. There's an exclamation point. Lord, help me. She's shouting out to Jesus. She's trying to get his attention. She's not going to give up. He replies, it is not right to take the children's food and toss it to to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed that very hour. That very hour. You see, this is a a great illustration of sometimes there's rules in place and you have to break a rule because there's a higher thing at, at work and that's love. Let me illustrate it in this way. Actually, you're going to help me illustrate it in this way. Say you are, you're in town and that, that your child is sick. And all the ambulances in town are busy. The medevac helicopter is not coming. It's just you. And you've, you know that the, the care can't be offered here. So now you have to take them to Springfield, right? When, just by show of hands, if you're driving down, there's four lanes, you're driving to Springfield, are you going to be abiding by the speed limit? Raise your hand if you're going to be abiding by the speed limit, right? Thank you for being honest. Who is going to ignore the speed limit? Then the throttle is going to be going all the way down. You see, some students are in the back. They're going to do that anyway. It didn't even matter what was going on. It's like, I'm just looking for an excuse to drive fast. Of course you're going to. You just illustrated the point for me because sometimes there's a higher thing at work, isn't there? The higher law of love than this, when this woman who was a Canaanite woman, by the way, the Canaanites and the Jewish people were at odds with one another. But yet she's so compelled because she loves her daughter and she sees her daughter as suffering and, and she knows that only Jesus can offer her healing. The Canaanites, here's an interesting little fun fact about the Canaanites. The Canaanites 
were the ones who originally lived, they were some of the ites, if you will, who lived in the promised land. These were some of the people that the Israelites were supposed to drive out of the promised land, but they didn't drive them all out. So she's in an area that there, there could have been so much and there would have been so much opposition. The Canaanites had lived in that region for 3,000 years. And then 1,400 years before, approximately before this event, they're still supposed to be gone, and yet what does Jesus do? He doesn't look at all the cultural and racial boundaries and spiritual boundaries. Instead, he just receives her in a way because he loves her. And did you know that's the same way that Jesus receives us? However, if you're filling in the blanks in your info card, the first thing that we see in verse 21 and 22, it says, leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tur and Sidon. A Canaanite woman, I just explained the significance of that, a Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering from demon possession. So if you're filling blanks in your info card, the first thing is this, you see her request. Now there are going to be four main ideas to outline this. I really don't care that you remember these four, way, four things that maybe you're taking notes of. That's really not the important thing for me. I just put these in here, A, so you can take notes and follow along in the passage as I'm going. But, but what is written down is not as, as significant as maybe what God is saying to you. So don't feel inclined to just take notes and just fill in, in the lines there. Instead, maybe if you need to take a note and, and write down what God's saying to you. So, so God's always at work, and, and I realize that, that these things are, are not as important necessarily as to what God would have for you. So you see her request. Notice, if you will, it says, leaving that place, and, and again, I pointed this out in the weeks in the past, you see Jesus in transition. He's kind of always in transition, back and forth, back and forth. Jesus left Galilee because there was mounting pressures. There are certainly pressures from three different groups of people. The group, he was, had pressure just from the crowds. Again, he'd be just zigzagging across the, the, the banks of the Sea of Galilee and the, in the Valley of Galilee to Bethsaida, only to be followed by another large crowd that was expecting miracles. And then Jesus would, he would move on to be by himself, and then people would find Jesus again. And then it was just the ebb and flow and back and forth because the crowds were so after Jesus. As a matter of fact, I can illustrate it in this way. I was talking to my grandmother this week, and my grandmother, it, it was sweet as can be. I mean, we'd get on the phone, and when my grandma, and she may be listening right now. Uh, grandma, I love you, just in case you are. It's like, when I start talking to my grandma, it's like I say hello, and she's like, well, hey, and boop, she's off to the races. She's talking. And it's like she's getting in her words, and I love it. I love these conversations. So I'm having a conversation over where all the plants are at, at Kroger, and I'm just kind of like trying to get away from people because I'm, I'm carrying on a conversation. And I don't want to make people think I'm crazy because I got my, Air, my uh, AirPods in. So I got people walking by me. You, you guys know how this is, kind of social awkward in that way. So I'm standing there talking to my grandma, and we just kind of spark up a conversation. And I, I, I just asked my grandma, I said, what cologne did grandpa wear? Because there was something significant about my, about my grandpa's cologne. My grandpa was, uh, was an amazing man. He was like a John Wayne type of figure, like stature of John Wayne. That's just how he was. He, he, could, go, he could spend all day working outside, getting, getting disgusting, dirty, and he would just come in and he would just smell clean. And I was like, what cologne did grandpa use? And she said, aqua velva. Anybody remember aqua velva? <laughs> I don't know. I just, maybe you want to be proud of it. If you're wearing aqua velva right now, stand. I don't know. Probably, 
probably not going to, but, uh, but it, it was aqua velvet, and I was like, that's exactly what I was. Interestingly enough, anywhere that you could smell that smell, you knew my grandpa was coming. You knew my grandpa was in the room when you smelled that smell. I didn't even know what it was. You knew that Jesus was on the way because the crowds were following him. The crowds would follow after him because some of them wanting something of Jesus, some of them just curious, and some of them just outright mean. So part of the crowds that are following after Jesus, some of them were coming to him because they had sick, they were sick and lame people maybe, or diseased people. They just were eager to be healed. Some just were coming because of curiosity. And then also Jesus was not only facing pressure from the crowds, he also had pressure from some of the political people also. Maybe the pressure of political arrest and just potential execution from Herod Antipas, who was a leader at the time, who thought that actually Jesus was John the Baptist come back to life. You could read that in Matthew 12, 14. There's also pressure from the Jewish religious leaders. As you just read the Gospels, you know that the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, the group of religious leaders, they had it out for Jesus. So they would come and sit. We're going to see this next week. They would just come and sit under Jesus' teaching, not because many of them were interested at all, just because they were looking for a gotcha. They were looking for a way just to do away with him. So Jesus was facing all sorts of pressure. In Mark 7, 24, mentioning this passage, this is a parallel passage with what we read originally from the Gospel of Matthew. It said this, Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tour. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. So Jesus was trying to get away from people because the crowds were always following after Jesus. There was pressure from the religious leaders and there was pressure from the political leaders. And yet Jesus, just seeking some rest, but he had the presence of mind to meet this woman and address this woman in the way that only he can. Notice how she responds to him in verse 22. It says that she was a Canaanite woman from the vicinity that came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David. If you were paying attention last week, if you were engaged in last week's message, you know that that man also addressed Jesus as son of David, which was a way of identifying him as what? The Messiah. So there's something significant about this woman, and Jesus knows it. Jesus is not playing games with this woman, by the way. He's not playing games with her. Instead, Jesus is trying to trying to draw out her faith to see where her faith really lies. Notice she addresses him as son of David, which means that she, being a Canaanite woman, would have at least a little bit of belief that Jesus could be or perhaps is the Messiah. Jesus would know this by the term that he's known by, by what comes out of her mouth. This son of David is back to the Davidic covenant that we talked about last week from 2 Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Again, there's another uh, passage that connects with this. In Matthew 22, 41 through 42, it says this. While the Pharisees were gathering together, Jesus asked them, who, who do you think, or excuse me, what do you think about the Christ? Who is he? And these, these Pharisees, who were gathered there, they said, the son of David. 
So again, there's a Jewish belief that Jesus is the Messiah, and now you see this Canaanite woman who is perhaps believing that Jesus is the Messiah. You may look at this and say, well, isn't there still a divide between the the Jewish people and the Gentile people, the non-Jewish people? Isn't there a divide? And I want to summarize it by saying this, and this will be on the screen. Jesus' first priority was to minister to God's people Israel. You see this in the Old Testament. And his first priority in the Old Testament, continuing into the New Testament, until the doors were wide open for Gentiles, of which, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. So Jesus... At first, it was to reveal himself to the Jews as Messiah and to offer them the kingdom. But Jesus, in the midst of this, never refused a person because of race or culture. And he's not going to refuse this woman either. We can follow in the steps of Jesus when we do this, when we make invisible people visible by breaking down cultural barriers. We make invisible people visible by breaking down cultural barriers. And I would even take it a step further to say in breaking, breaking down racial barriers. Not expecting someone else to do it, but to do it on our own part because that was the heart of Jesus. Therefore, if you are a Jesus follower, that should be your heart. Amen? As we continue... You may say, well, I just... I, I don't get Jesus' answer, and I understand that. In verse 23, we're going to see the, the next thing. If you're filling in the blanks in your info card, you're going to see his rejection. Like, okay, you're like, Pastor, you just told me that Jesus welcomes all people. Like, what's going on there? I get it. Yeah, you, you said this, and now Jesus just looks like he just outwardly rejects her. Well, let's go back to the passage to see if I'm telling the truth. Verse 23, Jesus did not answer a word. Whoops, there it is. No pun intended. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. So the disciples are following Jesus' lead, but the disciples don't know what Jesus is up to. Again, Jesus is not playing games with this woman. He dearly loves this woman, but now because Jesus didn't offer a word, it didn't give a response to her, the disciples responded with, well, let's just make her invisible then. Let's just, let's just cast her away then. She's being a nuisance. She's just being relentless. What's going on? Just do away with this woman, Jesus. Can we just tell her to leave? She's kind of annoying. It's hard to miss the fact that Jesus doesn't immediately respond. But what I told you a moment ago, and I'm just going to put a little nugget here, and you're going to see it even more clearly in another moment, is this. Jesus is trying to help her develop her faith in that moment. He's not playing games with her. He's trying to show her and to show the disciples and to reveal to him just outright where her faith truly lies. So he's actually helping her by not responding immediately. Notice the disciples, it says, so his disciples in verse 23, so his disciples came to him and urged him They urged him, they're pleading with him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. Can can I be really honest with you? Sometimes people can be annoying, right? Sometimes I can be annoying. Sometimes the easiest thing to do is just say, send them away. Is that the truth? Like, 
Are you laughing because you, you're with me or are you laughing because you're like, I'm glad I'm not like you. Which one is it? I'm not sure. <laughs> it's like people are difficult. And the disciples were responding in a way that would be very human. And yet Jesus, he being tempted in every way that we're tempted, and we could read this for ourselves in Hebrews 4.15, but he was tempted in every way that we're tempted, but he didn't sin. Not one time. He is the perfection that we need for the atonement that we need. Going a step further, the disciples saw a problem person and the remedy was just to get rid of the person who had the problem. Jesus separates the person from the problem while loving us back to emotional, relational, financial, and spiritual health. So he separates the person from the problem, the sin from the sinner, while at the same time loving us back emotionally, relationally, financially, and spiritually. And he does it just out of the basis of his care for us. Notice in verse 25 her reaction A reaction is this. After Jesus didn't answer a word and the disciples just wanted to get rid of her, Jesus responds, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. And she says, Lord, help me. If we were to dig deeply into this, this comes from the the Greek word, proskuneo, and it means to prostrate oneself or to kneel down or to worship in some settings. So she's just not this, this woman who's just coming to Jesus in just a flippant way. Instead, she's coming to Jesus more with this posture. Of course Jesus would respond in the way that he would respond, in, like we see in the passage. She's She's laid out before Jesus. She's prostrate before Jesus. She's, she's worshiping, if it can be translated in that way. She's worshiping Jesus. So she, she came and she knelt before him and she's just pleading, Lord, help me. She's as humble as can be. She's laid out pleading for her daughter who's needing deliverance. And how does Jesus reply? He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Maybe at first glance you thought this was like the five-second rule, right? That's not what this is, right? This, you, know, you know what the five-second rule is, right? You drop something on the floor, you have five seconds to do what? To, right. Some of you, it's three seconds. Some of you don't care. You're like, oh, that looks, that looks really good. That's half a cookie, right? <laughs> some, of you, some of you, even if it like falls in the trash can, you're like... I know it's a trash can, but that donut looks good. I don't know. I don't know what to do. You're looking around the room. You're like, no one's going to judge me. I don't know. I'll just tear this thing up. Maybe. You see, it it can be complicated. It's not the five-second rule at all. Instead, what she's drawing to mind is this. This, this illustration that 
that Jesus throws out and that she responds to when Jesus says in verse 26, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. She responds with, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. We may paraphrase her reply with this. Well, it is true that we Gentiles do not sit at the table as children and eat the bread like the Jewish people do. But even the pet dogs under the table can eat some of the crumbs. She's saying, although we as Gentiles may not be worthy of sitting at the table, but the Lord's crumbs are valuable even to those who are Gentiles because we're far from God. This again, you see the woman's humility. You see the fact that, that she's, she's engaging with Jesus. And I can just imagine what it would have been like for the disciples. I bet the disciples were absolutely confused. There's only two people who knew what Jesus was, was talking about right here. Was the mother and Jesus. And I guarantee the disciples were sitting off and be like, here's Jesus doing that Jesus thing again. I have no idea what he's talking about. He's talking about food. He's talking about crumbs. This woman, I wanted this woman to be gone a couple of minutes ago. It's like, she's here. They're having a conversation. I have no idea. I'm like, speaking of food, isn't it time to eat? Like, what are we going to do? What's, like, what's for lunch? Like, I could just see myself. If I was one of the disciples, I would have probably been oblivious to all this and be like, okay, clock's ticking. Don't we have some other important things to do? This woman is just not making any sense. However, she and Jesus understood what was going on. So the first thing we saw in the passage was we saw her request. The second was his rejection. The third was her reaction of verse 25 through 27. You see her reaction. The reaction of humility and worship at the feet of Jesus. The response to to Jesus' storyline here. And the last thing we see is we see Jesus' response, his response in verse 28. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. You have great faith. Your request is granted. Jesus saw this woman He felt her pain, the pain of a mother watching her daughter struggle in such a way. He didn't judge her. He didn't cast her away. Instead, he sat there long enough to have a private conversation with this woman to draw out her faith, and then after her faith was revealed, he said to her what? He said, woman, you have a great faith. You're Request is granted. And we finish off the passage in a remarkable way, miraculous way. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Jesus never refuses a person who comes to him in faith. Never refuses a person who comes to him in faith. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning. You, you may be a person who has, has put your faith in all the wrong things. You've stepped on all the wrong stones. And maybe you've, 
you've stepped on the stones and you've fallen down and you've made a mess and you've humiliated yourself, maybe humiliated someone else. But I want you to know Jesus loves you. He loves you enough to give you an opportunity to repent of stepping on the wrong storm, stones and relying on the wrong things, relying on some vague religious or spiritual thing that's not rooted in Jesus, some political or military thing or some social position. Jesus knows all that's going on in our lives and he's leaving the door open for you to turn away from the things you've done and turn to the God who loves you. Would you stand? The Apostle Paul, of all the remarkable things the Apostle Paul said, whether in, in his letters to the churches or to individuals, this is one of the most remarkable to me. In Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, he said this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. And as the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. I'm just going to be direct and ask you this morning, what have you been putting your faith in? Have you been putting your faith in your 401k or your pension plan or how much land you have? Or this year's yield? Last year's yield? The size of your home? The size of your family? The, the, the ability for you to take trips? Vague religious or spiritual things? What have you been putting your faith in? Have you taken some wrong steps? stepped on some wrong stones, made a mess of some things. Here's your chance to respond and just to, to bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, like this woman who came to Jesus with such humility, kneeling down in, in a position of humble worship before Jesus. Maybe that's what somebody needs to do this morning. They just need to, to just go before Jesus, whether in their seat or up front, and just say, Jesus, I've made a mess of things. I haven't been relying on you. I've been relying on the wrong things, and it has not served me well. I repent of that. I turn away from that, and Jesus, I turn towards you. Who am I talking to this morning? Who's done that? Are you someone who's taken the wrong steps? You need to turn towards Jesus and make it right. As the service continues, you're going to have a chance to respond. Respond in your seat. Respond up front. But don't let this moment pass by without you doing what God is whispering in your ear for you to do. Father, we just so thank you for sending Jesus. In Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to come. And Jesus, we're so thankful that, that you reminded us that the Holy Spirit was going to come after you left earth. 
When the Holy Spirit came down in a whirlwind as if fire from heaven and engulfed people and the Spirit has been engulfing every believer ever since. We thank you for the work that you're doing. Spirit, stir us to action today. Spur us to humility today. Spur us to make that invisible person visible again. Amen.